Hey guys, new episode of Eastman's Elevated here. So today on the podcast, I have on my friend Andrea Larson. So um, Andrea is a super cool chick. She comes from Chicago. So she comes from a city with no hunting background. And then a handful of years ago, she moved out to Montana and she's just immersed herself in outdoor activities. Um, she first fell in love with, with the wild organic meat and how to prepare it. And then that kind of fueled her passion into hunting and in hunting on her own. Um, she's just not afraid to go out and do her own research. She's not afraid to go out and hunt by herself. Um, she's just a real driven person and has a real intelligent way of looking at hunting and, and improving on hunting. So it's just a, a great episode today with a really good, fun conversation with Andrea. Um, today's sponsor is Everly Stock Packs. So Everly Stock builds a great pack. Um, I used their pack for a couple hunts last year. I used their F1 frame. It's just got a super hip belt where you can really get the weight off your shoulders. It's got all the adjustments on it to make your load uh, carry correctly. Um, you know, I paired that with they've got a, a spike duffel that goes onto that F1 frame. Um, it's their lightest weight setup, which is just perfect for me being a minimalist. Um, but they're just a great company that makes a great pack. And, and I want to thank those guys for sponsoring the podcast. Um, over at Eastman, so we've got a new issue of the Eastman's Bow Hunting Journal coming out. Um, it's a really cool issue. I wrote an article in there with Brandon Mason where we reviewed mid height lightweight hiking boots. Um, man, this is just th this is the the movement of hunting boots is to get light. As a pound on your foot is like ten on your back, and so we kind of break down all these cross training lightweight type boots. Um, and, and kind of give our picks and, and it was just fun to be able to, to feel and hold and try on and walk and see what these different companies are coming up with. So it's great information for you guys. Uh, I also have a spring bear article in there. So, um, I've been hunting spring bears and, and been getting after them here. If you guys have been following my social media, you've probably seen that, but I just love hunting spring bears. It's a great season to get out and, and out West, we have a ton of opportunities for, for big bears and color phase bears. And, and, and it's just really fun. It's kind of seen as a black magic where, you know, they're tough to locate as they're, they're a predator. There's not as many of them as say deer or elk, but once you get keyed into them, they're just make for the most thrilling, exciting you know, heart pounding stocks you can get, you know, on bears. So really fun article. Um, you know, I, I gave away a lot of tips and tactics in there and really just about locating more bears, which is going to get that excitement level up. So make sure you check that out. Um, I also have to mention on that, I did that last recording and, and I always talk to you guys about how I'm always trying to get better. And I really am always trying to get better. But that last recording, I had some problems with my, my audio volumes and it, it's just tough. I'm just a bow hunter trying to figure it all out. And a couple guys reached out and messaged me. And, and so I just want to apologize to you guys uh, for, the, for the bad audio levels. I, I didn't mean to blow out anybody's eardrums or anything like that. And I got it as close as I could in editing. But gosh, there's just so many variables, whether it's the room you're recording, you know, the, the mic volumes, and, and then everybody speaks into the mic different. And I, I'm so loud that I got to make sure I have my volume turned down. But, but anyways, always working to get better. Wanted to apologize to you guys for last week's recording and, and just try to, trying to get good recordings and just trying to get better at that technical side of things. So um, anyways, yeah, let's get this thing rolling. Eastman's Elevated, Andrea Larson. Here we go. Okay, I'm live with Andrea Larson. Andrea, how are you? I'm doing lovely. How are you? Yeah, I'm doing good. So 
we've been friends for a while here and we've gone on a few adventures and um, you're just a, a diehard hunter. You're so passionate about hunting and fishing and even your flying, which I'm super interested in. Um, but you're just a real passionate person that gets outdoors and you kind of came from Chicago is where you were born and raised and, and no hunting in your background whatsoever. And, and now you moved out to Montana. Um, you married one of my good friends, Philip Larson, and now you've just immersed yourself in the hunting world and you're just sick for it. So I really wanted to have you on to hear your story. So you got started by meeting Phil. That was your introduction into hunting. Yep. That was, that was the first exposure I had ever had. Um, you know, I didn't even have like uncles that hunted or anything distant. I mean, growing up in the suburbs of Chicago, it was just not a thing that people did. You know, people did like bowling and stuff. <laughs> Those are the kind of hobbies you got into in the suburbs, but um, but I've always been, you know, outdoorsy. I've always ha felt drawn to nature. You know, I was the, it, I was a kid that was going to the, you know, creek behind the house that came off of some nasty retention pond and like, you know, pulling crawdads out of the creek and that sort of thing. Like I, w I was always trying to immerse myself in nature, even if I wasn't offered very much <laughs> mm -hmm. to, to, to have there in, in Chicago. Um, so when I came out to, Montana I came out here for college um and uh just fell in love with the mountains and everything like that but lived here for years and and didn't hunt and um didn't really fish or anything like that and that until I met Phil um and that was already his lifestyle and it was just like something clicked and it was it feels like what I should have been doing my whole life um but you know, I, so I feel like I'm almost making up for lost time. Maybe that's why I'm so sick for it. And I'm just doing it every, every waking moment that I can. Cause I feel like, you know, there was, there was a good 24 years of my life or so that, uh, I should have been doing all of this mm -hmm. and I wasn't. Um, but, uh, well, we get such good seasons out here. There's such good opportunity. Oh, yeah. But yeah, like you just almost got to run in the right circle of people to be introduced to you to where you get into it. And you're, yeah. you fish a bunch too. But yeah, no, you've really got into the hunting lately. And I love like all the recipes you come up with um, using the liver and using the ribs and just different oh, yeah. recipes that you've come up with and fallen in love with. I think that's really cool too. Yeah, for sure. And that was actually kind of my gateway into hunting because Phil was super into hunting and you know, I was just like, oh, okay, that's cool. It's cool that you do that. But I don't think I could ever do anything like that. And, you know, it, which is a, a refrain you hear from a lot of people, especially women um, who don't have any exposure to it. And then Phil took me on a hunt and I saw the reality of what it, what the experience really was like. It wasn't anything like I had anticipated it was going to be um, as an archery antelope hunt. Um, and he got, he got a buck and I was standing 10 feet behind him. And, uh, you know, the whole process from, from sneaking up onto the animal to, you know, walking up to the animal once it had expired and breaking it down and on all of that was just so different. And I realized in that moment that it was something that I could do. Um, and the math in my head at that point after the hunt was, well, if, I start hunting, then we could have twice as many tags and we could have twice as much game meat in the freezer because I, I do. I love cooking. Uh, that was, you know, I've, I've loved cooking since I was very young. My mom is a really excellent cook. And so I learned from her. And um, 
so professional like, my phone's going off. Right. Isn't that perfect? <laughs> that, that was you, not me. I yeah, right. It, yeah, that. totally me. <laughs> but yeah, no, you love cooking and, yeah. and antelope meat. That's about the best yeah. meat you can oh double up on, that, right? When when Phil and I, her, our first real date, he actually cooked antelope backstrap. And I had never really had much, again, not coming from a hunting background, I had never really eaten very much game meat in my life. And so when he told me that he was going to make me antelope backstrap, I was like, Oh, okay. That sounds nice. I I thought in my head that it was going to be kind of weird tasting. Yeah, uh, wild game. That's gamey, yeah, right? That's gross. <laughs> yeah. so I was like, oh, it's probably going to taste funky and weird. But you know, I'll you know, I'm a good sport. I like to try new things. I mean, I, we were just in Mexico and I ate I ate fried grasshoppers. So like, I'm good not, for you. You know, I'm not, I'm not opposed to eating strange things. But I just assumed it was going to be weird. And I was you know I was going to be polite and go through it. Well turns out apparently he must have thought I was pretty cute because now I know that the backstrap is the primo cut and that he hadn't he had actually just gotten that antelope the weekend before well and you don't get much meat on him either yeah, so right. to share his backstrap he must have seen a future somewhere right. <laughs> so he really wanted to, to pull the stops out and impress me so um I took one bite of that is just bacon wrap backstrap from the grill just cooked perfect medium rare I took one bite and I was like, oh, oh wow. Okay, this, this is wild game. All right. Yep. <laughs> this is this is opening a door I did not know existed. I've got to shoot one of these. Yeah, basically. <laughs> it, was, it was all a long downhill road from there. So. Yeah, good for you. Um, yeah, so you got hooked on it. And when you went on that hunt with Phil, you start to realize like what a challenge hunting is. Yeah. It isn't. And, and even with the rifle or with the bow, bow is super challenging. But it, it is really tough to get close to something and be able to harvest something. And you you yeah. just get like this bigger appreciation for it and, and you kind of realize the challenge and you go, man, this is a really cool challenge that I want to embark on and try to do well at. Oh, for sure. I mean, I, and, and just the amount when you, when you finally find that success and that, that pride from that work, because I, I did get a little feeling of that when I was growing up, I had a grandpa that, uh, right. Still, he's still alive. He's still with us. <laughs> but he doesn't live in that place anymore. Um, he lived on the Fox River in Illinois. It's kind of rural, central um, Illinois. And uh, and he fished for catfish. He lived right on the river. He had a dock and he had stuff set up. And, uh, and me and my sister would go down there and, and, you know, poke the minnows through the eyes to bait them on the hook and chuck them out there with a sinker and then just basically wait for the rods to bend and, and just pull channel cats out of there. And we spent a week out there doing that. Um, he kept them all in a live well and uh, filleted them all up at the end of the week. And uh, cause my parents had gone on a vacation um, and filleted them all up. And then we took them home. And I remember when my mom, because I was too, I was too little to even reach the counter at that point um, to cook, so I couldn't cook it. But my mom cooked it up, and I just remember feeling so proud of having made that meal. And the first time I I harvested an animal, which happened to also be an antelope uh, with a rifle, that same feeling came right back. Was just you know I made this happen, and then there's there's no other way to replace that gardening kind of comes sort of vaguely close but the amount of work that goes into hunting the amount of blood sweat and tears that you put into it um just makes it that right i kind of forget i've been doing it for so long that you know i do appreciate it i love feeding my family with it but i 
I kind of forget that sense of pride that you that you get, but you do. You work so hard for it, you know, whether it's all the research and the hunting do you do and the stalking and then able to get it. And then, you know, you've got to be part butcher where you're breaking it down in the field. Yeah. Then you're taking it home and you have an eight hour day of butchering it. And mm-hmm. it, it feels so good when you're filling up that freezer with, with good organic lean protein, you yeah. know, but there is such a sense of pride with, with harvesting your own game and living off your own game and kind of getting out of the the factory farming and the living in pens there's so much evil that's incorporated that that it's nice to take responsibility for the food that you eat and be able to harvest your own meat and and there is such pride that goes into it and such pride when you're eating it and it's prepared right and you know from start to finish you did absolutely everything to get that game animal to your plate yeah there's there's just nothing that compares to that i almost now walking through the grocery store because it's been so many years since i've actually you know, bought a package of beef that I look at those pack those styrofoam packages wrapped in plastic, and I they kind of make me a little ill. Like to think you look at that and you go, I don't know what conditions that animal lived in. I don't know what happened when it got butchered. How clean was that butcher shop? How many people have touched that mm-hmm. piece of meat before it got to that piece of styrofoam how sitting much, in the case? And you're just, I just, ugh. Yeah, <laughs> how many hormones were pumped into yeah. it, antibiotics, the whole deal. But yeah, you have no knowledge of where it's been in the processing stage and how yeah. long it's been sitting out. And they, you take so much more pride in, in getting your own meat and filling your own freezer. And, and then, you know, just like your recipes, there's so much you can do. But uh, I just love all the summer sausage and jerky and, and and all the the cooking endeavors you can you can embark on throughout a year you know to use up all your meat so when it comes into the next hunting season i like my freezer to be empty you yeah. know and that's that's what we aim for between between giving some to family and and doing our best to cook as many meals at home it also encourages you to cook at home more because if you've got a freezer full of meat you know that's usually the most expensive part of any meal isn't the, the veggies and the potatoes and whatever else that you're cooking alongside it. It's the meat. You know, if, if we were to be purchasing our meat from the grocery store, that would be the most expensive part. So you're like, well, got the expensive part taken care of. I kind of got to, you know, use it up and, and, and you tend to be a little more responsible about, um, about cooking it for yourself as opposed to eating out. I definitely cook for myself more now that we, um, you know, are completely on game meat. Mm-hmm. We've got a freezer full to use and, you know, the butchering process too, like being able to do that when we go to break down an animal, I'm already imagining all the meals that I'm going to make out of it, mm-hmm. you know, saving the shanks to do oso buco or, you know, uh, doing rib cuts. The really exciting cut that we did uh, this year on a couple of critters was to kind of spice up the backstraps a little bit. Um, you know, backstraps, as much as they are sort of the prize cut out of an animal, they get kind of boring. Like most people just, you know, take them, you grill them medium rare and you sometimes wrap them in bacon or maybe somebody's got a cool marinade or whatever, but they can get kind of boring. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so what we actually did on a couple of the critters was um, left them partly on the bone, on the rib bone. Oh, that's so, right. You told me that. Yeah. How interesting. So if you, if you cut the rib, um, you know, parallel with the spine, if you cut down the rib cage about, you know, five or six inches from the spine. Um, and then you cut the back strap away from the spine and then use your bone saw again to cut the rib bone away from the spine. Mm-hmm. Uh, then essentially you have, if you're doing it on a big animal, uh, you've got a standing rib roast, like an elk. So we've actually got a couple of those in the freezer right now. Uh, but then if it's a smaller animal, like a deer or, or an antelope, 
you just cut in between each of those ribs, and you've essentially got pork chop. Oh, you've got, you gotcha. Know, you've, got a, you've got a rib chop for, for that. And there's something that having that bone, I don't know what that does to the meat, cooking it on the bone, but it's amazing. It's oh, fantastic. gotcha. You just do a real simple base of like uh, rosemary and garlic uh, butter and just sort of base that on when you're cooking the back straps. And, oh, my goodness. Oh, wow. And so when you're butchering in the field, so do you take like um, each side or do you take it as like one deal and then you bring it home and then you start cutting it into the pork chops or how do you do that in the field when you butcher? It's got to be tough to pack that spine. Well, yeah, it kind of it kind of depends on how far you are from the trailhead and how ambitious you're feeling. Uh, and also if it's a, a rifle kill, how uh, messed up is like the opposite side rib cage or that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Like you don't necessarily want to use that. Um, it, obviously every animal is a little bit different, but, um, I have a really nice, uh, I've fallen in love with, um, my Havilon bone saw mm-hmm. and Phil swears by, I mean, he's taxidermy for so long. And so he swears by his Havilon just for, um, skinning and quartering and everything like that. And it's, it's fantastic, but they also make a bone saw that is every bit as good as their, uh, skinning knife. Oh, wow. And, uh, it just, it cuts through those ribs like butter. Okay. And, so, and then you take it out in one spine piece. Yeah, Is that right? So I've done it a couple different ways. I've done it where, um, yeah, I'll just cut one side of the ribs off. So I'm only taking one set. Um, you know, if the other set's kind of ruined or there's not enough, so you, you know, just cut the meat out from between the ribs and that sort of thing. Um, I've also taken an entire rib cage out. Uh, I think two of our antelope this year, we did that, which is actually kind of handy because if you've got a good backpack um, that's either big enough or it uh, explodes out from the frame like the stone glaciers. Um, Has like then, a like a gear yeah. uh, or a, a meat back yeah, to like it, right? A like a hollow? Shape. Yeah, yeah you totally. kind of pull it away from the frame. Such a good feature on backpack. So Every backpack should have it. I don't think I could go without anymore. <laughs> so what do, what do you call that? It's like a, a meat sling or something, yeah. but your bag separates from the frame and then you put the meat in between yep. and then you and suck then you your bag. Yeah, exactly. So you can have your camp and all your stuff in the bag and not getting all bloody and yeah. gross. It's, it's the best idea Oh, ever, I really Yeah, is. because if you use your bag for multiple yep. years with yep. multiple game animals, all of a sudden you've got what i call a meat bag like everything you just like stink like death in your bag and it's the worst when it rains too yeah i i've thrown backpacks out because of but now with this new meat sling and they make them so good where they detach from the frame and you can throw them in the laundry machine and and really clean them and keep bags for a a lot longer life but yeah i used to hate that having a meat bag that's the worst and also trying to cram it in like you can you can have weird leg bones sticking out left and right from your backpack and you don't have to worry about it fitting in the bag so that's really nice and it cinches down which keeps that weight close to your back which is really good for packing instead of like when you used to put it in your bag it would all go to the very bottom and then kind of space away from your back and you're just carrying that load farther away from your back you want the weight as close to your back as you can get it and that totally accomplishes that i wish i wish i had a pack like that for my paraglider that's the (laughs) worst my paraglider backpack is the worst for carrying a load too far away from your back but um but that was a little bit of a tangent there so what i was trying to say oh if you've got a good backpack where where it can and pull away or you've got one that has a really large bag in it uh for a a deer or an antelope sized animal if you take that rib cage and you just cut off um the hip bone um and the neck and i actually take the neck out as a whole roast now um but you can actually stuff two or three quarters inside the rib cage 
Oh, so, wow. So you stuff those quarters in the rib cage, and then you put the rib cage on your backpack like you normally oh, would. Oh, like both and sides then, of yeah. the rib cage, not half yeah, it. Yeah, you know, you just keep the whole rib cage oh, wow. and just stuff the quarters. Oh, how cool. Good for you. Yeah, so it, it works great, and I, I packed my whole, um, but I had a bee tag for an antelope uh, this year. It was actually the first critter that I killed 100% solo, scouted the area. Somebody told me a district to put in for, and I put in for that district, but... Um, I scouted it. I looked at the maps. I looked at BMAs. I was the one that hunt. I hunted it a hundred percent solo. Um, and it, you know, this is only my, it was my third season hunting. Um, so I'm really proud of that. I did everything pa- and packed it out all by myself, but I was able to carry that whole antelope doe out, um, in one load. Good and for so you. So rib cage and all, I did not, the coyotes were very mad at me. I did not leave anything good for them. <laughs> I left him a gut, a gut pile and and a hip bone. <laughs> that was, and some skin. That was about it. Yeah, good for you. Well, I, and I always thought that was funny. You know, Phil, we've always boned out our rib cages, or you yeah. know, every once in a while we'll take them out if they're close or whole. And you said I'm taking out the whole ribs. And Phil, when he first told you, he goes, "Well, that's fine. You can pack them. Yeah, you like, you want to yeah, pack them out." Like, I think it's so funny. And you're maybe a hundred pounds, and then you just stack all this weight on your back. But um, no, I think it's so great. Like you were just talking about that hunt that you embarked on, and and you know and a lot of girls you know like my wife included she likes to spend time with me and likes to get outdoors and likes to hunt but she doesn't go for it you know quite like doing all the research picking a unit learning like you got in the whole process this season and embarked on it and you hunt a lot by yourself but I think that's really neat when you can like you say you get a lead on a unit you study the unit go to the unit you scout it research it find the animals and then able to harvest your critter and then pack it out by yourself get it back to the house Um, I think that's so impressive you had a great season but it's uh that is so rewarding and and how much more do you learn when you take every step of the process oh for sure that that that's essential i mean i think the problem that uh a lot of women hunters probably face is that they're in a situation where i don't know whether they don't want to or it's kind of hard to articulate that uh they get kind of led around by the wrists by whoever they're hunting with or whoever got them into hunting. Mm-hmm. And then they don't learn because they're always sort of just following whatever someone else is telling them. And I think um, those of us that have the ambition to uh, actually go out and do the research and do the work, it, it's, it's much more rewarding for me anyways. I mean, for uh, you know, we're getting geared up for spring bear season and last year uh Phil kind of gave me some of his spots to told, told me where to go up and, and, and where to sit vantage and where to watch for bears. And, um, I went probably a half a dozen times into some of his spots and wasn't seeing anything. It wasn't seeing anything. I was like, screw it. I'm going to go find some, ma- look at some maps and go find some stuff. I want to hike in that I want to figure out. And as soon as I did that, I started seeing bears and bear scat and everything. <laughs> it's like, well, okay, somebody upstairs is telling me, hey, <laughs> right? this is, this is well, what you should be doing. <laughs> and I never do good like chasing other people's spots or yeah. chasing leads. I've always got to think for myself, yeah. for me, you know, and, and not to say that Phil's spots aren't good and not to say no, you can't but... see bears there, but I just, I have to think for myself and go to my own spots and yeah. trust my own leads and trust my own instincts. It's just the way I go about things. So I end 
end up never hunting anybody else's spots. We're yeah. always hunting my spots because it's always where I think I'm going to see animals, <laughs> yeah. you know, but that's so great to follow the lead and not, not that it's bad if you, if you, you know, I don't know that led arounds the right choice of words. Cause I know my wife loves to get outdoors and loves to come hunting with oh, me yeah. and, and she does love to hunt, but she, she likes to spend time with me and yeah, likes to bond that way. And yeah. two, it's who you're with, you know, mm-hmm. you could pull them by the arm and, and have them shoot something and have them not get the experience or not learn anything or you can involve them in the process in the learning process and you've had part of that too and you've been able to learn from really good hunters the last three years and gain information and evolve as a hunter way quicker than you do starting from scratch but you know i i think too um you know that there's enjoyment that's found there and i think it's who you're with and i know you know when i'm hunting with my wife i you know i try to run all ideas past them and everything is a team effort whatever decision we make wherever we're going you know whatever moves we're going to make i try to include her in the process so she can get the full experience but um i i do uh i, I really respect what you do like going out uh, alone all the time non-stop you're always hunting by yourself and you hunt with us buddies too and you're one of the guys when you go i never hear a complaint out of you you can hike anywhere <laughs> you pack the loads we do but um i think it's really cool that you do embark on your on your own adventure and your own journey and research yeah. that from start to finish and i think you know, too, as the years go on, you're going to progress so much faster as a hunter doing that too. Yeah, that's, that's the hope anyways. I mean, and that's, I, I definitely get the, the idea of, uh, hunting as a social activity. Um, and, and I definitely, like Phil and I kind of have a tendency to carve out, um, certain hunts and certain animals tend to be a group type of like a team hunt and a thing that we do together, like uh, doing bighorn sheep use out in the breaks. Now we're kind of on a pattern where every other year, uh, we're I, one or the other of us is drawing that tag. They eat really good, right? And, oh my God, they're so good. And they're so fun to chase. They're just, they're just silly. They're silly animals in gorgeous country. Uh, but I probably shouldn't be telling that secret to everybody. Uh, broadcasting that out loud. No, bighorn use sheep, sheep hunting is no fun. Don't do it at all. It's terrible. It's miserable. Don't don't try it. Um, yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> well, don't put in for the tax. You, you, you've got you've got a leg up too. Being a resident in Montana, you get oh, a, yeah, a good leg up on those yeah. U-tags. But no, you're right. No, it sounds like fun. You guys have had a blast out there, and oh, I know yeah. Phil's killed a couple with his bow, yep. and then you yep. killed one last year, which was really cool. Yeah, and, with a rifle. And next time, I'm definitely going to do it with a with a stick bow. I chased him around for a few days with a stick bow, and I got really close a couple of times, but. Uh, but I think this this next time I'm gonna devote a couple more days to it and see if I can really make that that happen because I definitely think of all the different animal species that we had the opportunity to chase in Montana, uh, bighorn sheep is kind of at the top of the list of my ability to get stick boat close. Yeah, well, and and you had um, a super season. I mean, the last three years, but this year you killed a really nice buck and and uh, you had some bee tags and you filled. Was it three or four critters you killed this year? Four. Good for you. Yeah, good for you. Well, and um, but you haven't got that first kill with your bow yet, and part of the reason is is because you're so committed to the stick bow to traditional oh, yeah. archery. I've never even so, a no, uh, why? Yeah, well, why is that? Why? Why won't you go to a compound? Your husband is well, such a good compound shooter, <laughs> and it is like a leg up. Like, uh, how come you don't want to shoot a compound? Right. Uh, well. Part of it's that I've actually been shooting stick bow for probably ha- half my life at least. Okay. Um, I have been, ever since I was a little kid, I was just fascinated with bows and arrows. I was very much into like 
fantasy books and, you know, with like Lord of the Rings type of stuff. And so the archers were always the coolest characters to me. And so oh, good nerd, for you. You're a nerd like me. Yeah, yeah, totally. Totally nerdy. And so, you know, I always end up identified with those characters and then um, started researching on how to build bows. And I actually used it when I was a little kid, I would go to the lake that was sort of at the back of the neighborhood. And there was a bunch of willow trees that were growing up there. And my dad had, uh, the unfortunate decision to give me a pocket knife at a young age. And so I would go run down to the lake and I would get willow switches and um, I would cut them, I would strip the bark off and then I would whittle them down so that, you know, the skinny end, so that the fat end, I would whittle the fat end down so that it matched the taper of the skinny end and you tie a string to either side of that and you, hey, you got a bow. And so I armed all the neighborhood children. And we would have war. And it was amazing nobody ever lost an eye because I, but the bows I made actually shot. They didn't really shoot real fast, but but they shot sticks, and uh, yeah, it could have been a lot. Oh, that's a perfect weapon for kids. Yeah, I don't know why that is. You're always shooting BB guns at each other, yeah. or bow and arrows, or throwing rocks or something, pine cones, snowballs, you name it. Yeah, we were you, always you arm yourselves however you can do it. And I, I, I asked my mom. Uh, later on, I was like, well, how come you never actually just went out and bought me, you know, like one of the little Genesis bows, a little fiberglass bows type of thing um, that you can buy at the store. I was like, how come you never bought me one? And she was like, well, you had so much fun making them. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> okay. You know, it never occurred to her to yeah. like enroll me in archery classes or something. Mm-hmm. Like, Cause there was a range in the town I grew up so in. So you just love, and I'm, I'm getting into traditional archery too. The last mm-hmm. couple of years, I've really been practicing hard and want to get a harvest with one. Um, but you're just committed to it. So you like yeah, the feel like of traditional them. archery. Yeah. Okay. So you built the bow that you have now. Yeah. So, so I know you're, you're a hardcore fly fishermen that's what we've done a lot together for sure you tie how what percentage of your flies all of them now? yeah about 100 <laughs> percent. Yeah. so it to me shooting a stick bow that someone else made is like is like fishing with sportsman's flies okay uh would be to you i mm-hmm. fish with sportsman's flies, flies dying. i'm not very good at it but um but yeah it's so it, it just sort of takes the magic out of it for me so that that extra level of pride okay. that i get from knowing that i I made that equipment, um, and and it just kind of gives it a, a an intimacy that I really like, and um, and I don't know if you're gonna challenge yourself, why not go all the way with it? I, that's kind of I I feel like I live at both ends of the spectrum. I shoot a stick bow that I made with my own hands, and I shoot a precision rifle that it's very very accurate out to about a thousand yards <laughs> yeah you don't miss you're really good with that thing so, yeah and I, you know i've dabbled in like you know i want to get a little more into doing the uh, long-range rifle competitions and that sort of thing so i feel like I, there's no middle ground for me like mm-hmm. a compound bow would be this happy easy middle ground that i just can't I can't settle for, you know. Well, yeah. And when you, um, you're able to go out and enjoy the bow season, chase things around and get yeah. that super intimate challenge, you know, getting close. And I know you're getting really good at it. Like you stalk really close to those antelope. Oh, it's yeah. crazy because you've got to get to 20 yards or less, yeah. which takes so much more skill, which in turn, you gain more experience because you get more stalks because you never end up killing one because you got to get to 20 <laughs> yards. I mean, not yeah. that you'll never end up. No, you will. You'll I... come out and it'll mean the world to you when you do. But, but then you're able to go out later season and use your rifle, yeah. you know, and, and get the best of all worlds and yeah. take advantage of, of every season we have and, yep. and every weapon you exactly. can 
you. So good for you. I yeah, I do. I use the bow for the experience of hunting. I use the rifle for filling the freezer. Is kind of how that works. And eventually, yeah, I do plan to fill the freezer a little bit more with the bow. But for me, that's more the um, the I don't want to say the spiritual side of hunting. Yeah, that, I like that, it. That, that sort of that that then of of just being in the woods. I get a feeling with a bow that I don't quite get the same way. Yeah. Being that close too. I mean, I did get a shot on an antelope buck. Oh, that's right. I remember. Okay. Yep. And I, I swam an irrigation ditch to get to that buck. That's what I'm going to blame on the fact that I just gave him a wicked haircut instead of actually killing him was because I was shivering from being chest deep in water for about 20 oh, minutes. Oh, good for you. That's going for it. it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that was, that was a pretty intense stock, but I got so close at one point there was just a bush between me and him. I was so close to him, I could hear him tearing the grass out of the ground with his teeth and hear his teeth grinding together. That mm-hmm. That is stick bow close, and that is cool. I mean, nobody, you're, you're not going to do that. You're not even going to get that close to the compound bow. Maybe sitting in a ground blind and one walks by or something mm-hmm. like that. But, you know, that's too close for a compound bow. Yeah, I'm shooting him before I get that have, close. Yeah, for the amount of movement you have to make and the noise your bow makes, you, that's, that's too close. But Well, there is like this spiritual side of it, and that's... You know, it's it's hard to articulate why I love bow hunting so much, but I love getting close. I love that in, intimacy with that you get with animals. And I like if you when you go out with a rifle and you the woods are all quiet and your birds are chirping and all of a sudden you hear a boom. Yeah. It's just like <laughs> it's just unnatural. <laughs> like it just doesn't you know. But um, I love how silent that bow is and how like you're almost one with the woods when yeah. you're out there and you're sure. you feel like you're part of nature, part of the ecosystem yeah. around you, and especially like the skill that it takes to stalk in close mm-hmm. and and it you know it takes a lot more skill to stalk into fifteen to twenty yards. And I you know hunting with my dog. Water, that's her limit too is yeah, 20 yards and sure. so we got to get stick blow, bow close to him and yep. and we have been that close it's just we can't get him to hold still for a yeah. shot she has <laughs> missed an elk she got a shot at an elk um but it is it's a it's a next level challenge trying for to get sure. that close and i i really like that and really want to take up more stick bow hunting um I do like the advantage of my compound, but I, I do want to kill something with my stick bow and can see where I'd get totally hooked on yeah, it. Yeah, for sure. Well, and first, as somebody who is as sneaky as you are and as regularly successful with a compound as you are, that's just a natural, I think that's a natural next level mm-hmm. for you. Um, and I've even talked to some other friends of ours that are very successful compound bow hunters who um, are almost getting burned out, very successful trophy hunters who have killed enormous bulls and regularly top you know seven or seven that would be a huge bull (laughs) (laughs) 700 inch bull is that what you were gonna say (laughs) yeah that is a giant that's next level Uh, no we're like regularly killing you know three 340 plus and uh that's that that, same circle of friends that i know right yeah Yeah, they get them good that are just going for it and then they get so burned out you know they they shoot a 320 bull and they're depressed about it you're like Mm -hmm. i would give my left arm You know, right? So you know, or most most average people are just. uh, It's such an odd perspective. So you almost uh, want them to walk back into giving themselves another handicap and Mm -hmm. and rediscovering what they love about it. Because Mm -hmm. once you're just counting points, like I understand trophy hunting in terms of challenging yourself, Mm -hmm. like how you you you're actually the person that changed my perspective on what trophy hunting meant. Because trophy hunting, it's 
thrown around like a dirty word these days and uh, you know, especially social media and all that kind of stuff with negative press. Uh, and that's sort of what was in the back of my mind is somebody, oh, if you're just concentrating on the size of the antlers, then what are you doing it for? You're a horrible person. And I realized through talking with you and, and, and the next level kind of hunters is that the size of the animal is more a, a determination of your skill level. Mm -hmm. You know, you've got a bar that you set that is your personal goal that you want to exceed because you know you can and that the mature animals are harder to find and they're a lot smarter. And so it's a testament to your skill more than it is just, oh, look at the size of that thing on my wall. Yeah, and for so, sure. So it, it, but you have to kind of be in and around hunting and in and around people mm -hmm. that, that prioritize that to really understand that. So it's, um, it's very interesting. I almost wish we could come up with a different term other I than know. trophy hunting for it because I know more people like you mm -hmm. who are just trying to um, beat their own personal, you know, level um, that 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 is a an admirable thing mm -hmm. as opposed to the person who just wants to you know the high fence hunts in New Zealand where they're just paying a guy and here's here's we'll just let this giant stag out of the field and here go shoot it oh good job guy you know that's yeah. oh look at my trophy oh, i killed it but you know yeah you kind of you pulled the trigger on that animal but you know no, that, that the size of that animal is not a testament to the skill involved yeah totally no you did a really good job of explaining that you're so right it's the challenge of that older more mature animal yeah. and for me you know i might set a goal and i might say some inches but what i really mean is a mature animal if yeah. he's big and heavy and i can tell he's six years old that's the buck i want to kill even if the four-year-old will score better but it's a challenge that you embark on like you say because you know you can accomplish it and it is it's tougher to accomplish and tougher to get your stock you have less opportunities you have to hone your skill more but you also get to hunt more too if yep. you set your standards too low <laughs> yeah. you're no, done yeah. in the first couple days you, you don't get you're to done on opening day if you were like <laughs> i just want a spike i don't care whatever yeah right and so you want this experience and this adventure into it and and you also when you're trophy hunting you're gambling your tag you can come home with nothing very easily and yeah. so you know but you want to embark on this eight or 10 day mission where, you know, it's a, you have this standard in your head of this mature buck or this mature bull. And when you do harvest them, you know, it means the absolute world to yeah. you, you know, and, yeah, and it, it's a met goal. Yeah, absolutely. So no, you did a good job of explaining that. No, you're right. We need to think of a different word for trophy hunting that, uh, you know, like a trophy meat hunter or a trophy, I don't know what it is, but it's, like, uh, there's like something there. Goal hunting skill. Ooh, I like it. Yeah. I don't know. I, there's just, there's gotta be a better, some, somebody more linguistically skilled than I should be able to come up with something so that we can sort of take, cause I don't see us sort of reclaiming trophy hunting. I think that word is too, that phrase is too tainted at this point, but, um, but there needs to be a word for people who are doing it to challenge themselves, not just to show off to the world how big they're. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, and I think you're right. I think the majority of guys 
are that way do yeah. respect the animal and, and take all the meat and cherish the adventure and cherish the animal they're hunting. Mm-hmm. I think the majority are guys that way. Now, maybe some guys that are writing checks for different things yeah. here and there. Now, and, and maybe that's the wrong thing to think or say, too, to put everybody in a group. But it just seems to me like those guys put less effort into practice conditioning, you know, and you, you're paying somebody else to do your research for you. And then yeah. you're going out and shooting. But um, you know, and not that you can't pay to play too. to, you know, some guys have less time and earn more money and, mm-hmm. you know, they do the, you know, they've got one week or 10 days and want to make it happen and can sign the check to be on a good piece of property. You have a good outfitter, but you're, I think the majority of guys heart is in the right place. I yeah. really do. Yeah, for sure. And, and the, the trick is getting more people to see that, um, more of the general public. To yeah. Really see that and respect that. Yeah, for sure. So. Yep. Well, and we all have goals. Every year we kind of set different goals, but um, you've been a straight killer like the last three years. I like that. I don't like when people set goals too high too quick. I think you need to have success and accomplishments as you go, oh, yeah. you know, and in, in, in opportunity too. And so when you're just starting out or even becoming a trophy hunter, or evolving into one, you know, you kind of set your standards each year, you know, not to your skill level, but something that you're going to be happy with. And, yeah, and you guys love the meat and you guys love the hunt and embrace yeah. the hunt. But um, yeah, you've been a doe killer and small bucks. And oh, then yeah. this year, your buck was a really nice, a nice buck. Yeah, for sure. I, I definitely sort of, uh, jumped over my uh my goal at that point though though hunting some different places I sort of and seeing some of the animals that I saw later in the season um you know in terms of mule deer uh the year yeah last year I uh well last calendar year like the season before (laughs) okay yep copy I'm with you um I realized that if I just had patience, I could kill, you know, I, I, for this year, I set my goal at, uh, a good framed three by or a four by four. Mm-hmm. Like that was my goal. But the prior year, you know, the first year I shot the year, I shot a spike and he was a barely legal spike. It's four inches is the, is to, to be a spike. And he would not have been legal because there, I couldn't have cut a doe tag on him because he was a mule deer when there were no mule deer doe tags for that. Uh, unit but he yeah he was just legal just a little spiky guy um and then the next year I was just my only goal was I want to kill a bigger one than last year which was about the lowest bar that you could have set <laughs> and we were hiking back with um it was me and Phil and our buddy Travis and uh we were it was Halloween actually and we were hiking back down this this draw that we had hiked up and seen a ton of sign in and had commented at the top of the hill, we were like, wouldn't it be funny if we we ran into something coming back down this thing? Well, sure enough, uh, spotted this deer and Phil threw his binos up. I was a couple paces behind uh, trying to cross a fence. And they were like, deer, deer. And I was like, well, is it a buck? He's like, yeah. Like, is it bigger than last year? He's like, it's a forky. I was like, I'm killing it. <laughs> just no no qualms I was I and and I think meat pressure actually had a lot to do with that too um last year I was real critical about you know are we going to be able to fill the freezer that was mm-hmm. always in the back of my head and so I killed that porky at that point I think the only thing we had in that freezer was uh a very little antelope doe that Phil had gotten with his bow like on the last day of archery only season and then um, a bighorn sheep, 
And so I was like, I need more meat in the freezer. Yes. So I was well, like, immediately go for it. No question. Antelope and deer just don't go as far as elk. I yeah. know in, in, I have a lot of pressure on myself, it's self-imposed, but to kill my elk every year yeah. because it makes such a difference to our family. That's a difference between us getting through winter and not getting through winter. Pretty much, and yeah. so, you know, I, you have to kill about three or four deer to equal an elk. And I yeah. get a lot of game animals, but if I don't get that elk, our freezer runs skinny through that rest of the year. It's so, you know, elk season, as it gets later, you know, my standards get lower. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, I'm always happy with my harvest and the opportunity. And I think that's what's so cool about you is even with that spike and the forky, you were so thrilled to death and the smile on your face. And I know I get pictures from you now and again, and you're you're just so happy with your harvest and so happy about learning hunting and, and happy, you know, where you're at and where you're going. And you're not... You know, you're not saying, well, I wish I would have killed this huge four pointer. I wish I would have killed this or, but you just, um, you're so content and you're hunting uh, where you're at right now. And I think that's, that's really tough. And you don't see that a lot. Most guys are always looking for bigger and better and and me included. But, um, I think it's so cool that you've improved your skill level and happy with your harvest and happy with, you know, where you're at right now. I think that's really cool. Yeah. Well, it's, and maybe you don't see all of my internal strife of the fact that, you know, it's, it's kind of tough being in, you know, Bozeman's kind of home of the pros and, and, being married to somebody who's in the industry, I'm constantly surrounded by people who are, are, are doing excellent things. And so a lot of times I'm bashing my head against the wall going, oh, I, you know, why did, why did I screw this up? Why didn't I kill a bear this year? Why didn't I, you know, this and that. And I, I, I do beat myself up, but, um, you know, Phil has to forcibly remind me, you've only been doing this for a couple of seasons. Mm-hmm. You are, you're, as far as your learning curve goes, you're doing okay. Um, but, you know, I, I, part of me wants to you know, automatically just be at the level of the peer group that I'm surrounded with. And so, but for me, that has less to do with antler size and has more to do with, um, am I finding animals? Am I getting close to animals? Am I getting opportunity? How many opportunities am I Mm -hmm. making for myself? Um, well, and that's the fun of the hunt too, isn't it? Is opportunity. Yeah, it really is. Well, and I think that's where you really raise your standards too. Just like you were saying your mule deer opportunities and Mm -hmm. seeing bigger bucks. I think you were, you were going to say that you saw bigger bucks after you shot the forky, you see those opportunities. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden it's like, well, I saw four different four points at the end of the season. I can kill a four point next year. And that's kind of how my progression has gone too, is if I, if I've seen, you know, 180 inch deer, whatever it is, a mature five, six year old deer, you know, when I get an opportunity to stock that deer and I get a couple opportunities, it's like, now I can set my goal there because I know I can create that opportunity. Yep. And I, you're still, I mean, you're still, and I think that's what a makes you successful and B um, keeps you such a down to earth, awesome person to be around even though you are a a very upper echelon level hunter is that you it's always about you it's not a competition with other people it's not about you know you you're obviously in magazines but you were never like my whole goal is just just be on the cover of a magazine Mm -hmm. you know it's 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 about you and yourself and your challenge and what you are happy with in and of yourself and I think the way that people kind of lose it is 
when it becomes about other people. Oh, you're so right. And, and I, you know, you can't help but get trapped in that sometimes. And I am, I'm, you know, now I've been doing it for so many years that the last handful of years, you're right. I'm just happy for other people when they're successful. And like you were saying, your attitude, you know, beating yourself, you want to be as good as your peers and you've got goals and why didn't I kill a bear? I think that drive is good, but like you say, you can't, you can't be worried about what everybody else is doing, what everybody else is seeing, what everybody else is harvesting. You hunt for yeah. yourself and you're happy for yourself with what you harvest, the opportunities you create. But if you start getting caught up in in today's age with social media, you could drive yourself absolutely oh, insane looking man. at social media. Or, you know, I've had, you know, where, where people aren't happy for other people when they're successful, you know, because <laughs> yeah. it, there's this jealousy in there and it it's kind of human nature. And so it's not about being a bad person or anything. And I think, you know, even the best of us kind of get caught up in it a little bit, but it, it's important to kind of reflect on it and say, no, I, I'm just worried about myself and my own goals. I don't care what he's seeing, what he's harvesting, what this guy's doing. I'm just worried about me and my hunt. And if, if somebody's successful, you know, most of the time they work their butt off and I'm happy for them and I'm happy all the way around, whether they're a buddy or, you know, I, I don't really have competition, but just even people that I run into or meet, I'm really happy for their success. And I, yeah. I think that's a, a really good attitude to take in hunting is to For not sure. get caught up and in, in that jealousy because yeah. it's easy to fall into. Yeah. And it's, I mean, it's with anything, no matter what you're doing in the whole wide world, there will always be, unless you happen to be like the world record holder for something, there's always going to be somebody out there that's better than you. That's got a bigger this or that, or, you know, is richer than you or is whatever else, yeah. you know, it's, it's a general life philosophy, but um, you know, in terms of hunting, that's that's going to be your biggest source of misery is when you start comparing yourself to other people or start being jealous or start, Ooh, being, or, or, you know, how much like poaching and things like that that have come out, you know, social media just makes it that much worse. It um, does. It, 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 it drives it. it. It's really bad. Um, I'll, I'll never be have that problem with social media because I don't wear nearly enough mascara or hairspray to be a girl on hunting social media because <laughs> <laughs> clearly that's what you need to do these days to get, to get famous, wear camo and lots of mascara. But, um, uh, yeah, that's not really my style, but, uh, yeah, the, the whole thing about social media fueling poaching and, and people, uh, I mean, it seems like every other day I click and see, Oh, this guy said he killed it in this state, but he really killed it in that state. Cause this guy's got trail cam pictures of that same deer and he got busted going to a show and you know, all that kind of stuff that it's like, what is that even for? Who are you impressing? I know. And why does it matter? Because the next day somebody else is going to kill something bigger than what you yeah. just broke the law for, or, you know, well, and it is good. They're catching a lot of these guys <laughs> yeah, that are doing sure. wrong because they are stealing from us, you yeah. know, p public landers and people that do follow the rules. But, um, you're right. It's so easy to get caught up in, but, and, and it is human nature, but it's got to be a miserable existence being jealous of everything you oh, see yeah. or different people around or yeah. different critters you see. It, you drive yourself mad on social media if you were yeah. jealous with every big buck or big bull you <laughs> saw. Sure. You know, you drive yourself crazy. For so sure. I think it's important to focus on yourself, focus on your own training, your own hunting spots, your own research, yeah. and go enjoy it for you. And like, I always like to embrace the adventure. Like I love going to different places and whether that's different places in Montana or different states, 
I love this adventure hunting where you just embark in a new place on planet Earth and you're taking pictures and looking at the flora and fauna and the whole deal. Yeah, you know, I just yeah. I love I love embracing this adventure that you go on for seven to ten days. And that's that's the most enjoyment I get out of hunting for me. Oh, yeah. Breaking breaking new ground. I, I mean, the same thing happened because I got into fly fishing, I think, a little bit before I got into hunting. And I had this whole summer where. I mean, if there's a, if there is a puddle of water moving or still anywhere in this county or parts of the next three counties, I've probably put a fly line in it and I can tell you if there's fish in there or not, because I spent a whole summer just driving everywhere with a gazetteer in my lap going, that's blue. I'm going to go see if there's fish in that. And, you know, every little ditch and pond and and everything, uh, because the excitement of exploring new water was way more exciting to me than uh, going to the same spot on the East Gallatin over and over and over again, where I knew I could pull a fish mm -hmm. out. You know, it's 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 that what's around the next corner. There, there's such a so endless with that. there's such a correlation between fishing and hunting, and I oh. haven't talked about it on Eastman's Elevate, but yeah, no, I have an absolute love for fishing, and I I really like fishing with you too. Uh, you're so driven when you fish. You know, I, we fish so hard in different holes, but you always believe, even if we're having a tough day of fishing, you're always, well, I think uh, Phil's got a nickname for you, like last cast, yeah. but you always <laughs> believe you are so sick for it when you're out fishing. You oh, just yeah. crazy on the water, which is really cool to fish with you. And so we've got to go back and get you your first steelhead this year. We oh, got to go yeah. back and I do got that. I now. That's, that's, that's not uh, fishing. That's revenge. <laughs> yes, for sure. Yeah. No, we've got to plan a trip or two out there and we should get fishing this weekend. It's nice. And oh, warm. Yeah, yeah now it's um, been, we've had all this warm weather. For yeah, sure. I did really good on the lower um, last week, and I went with my dad and found a couple new holes down in there that I really like. We did pretty good down there. Yeah, we should make a run down there. Heck yeah. I, yeah, I, I think there is a lot of correlation between fishing and hunting, and especially for the, the drive that I have. I mean, that's why I go out again and again and again and again and again, mm -hmm. because it's, you know, what's around the next corner? What opportunity can I make for myself? What, what, what potential is, is hiding around the next corner that I can discover? Yeah. So, I'd rather be in the woods not finding anything than be in the house wondering if I could be finding something in the woods. Yeah, good for you. Well, and then, yeah, the correlations, they come, you know, nowadays there's hunting pressure and there's fishing pressure. Mm -hmm. And so you've got to play boats and pressure that way. And then there's reading water, reading terrain of land. And then it's it's nature, fish like where fish like, deer like yeah. where deer like. Oh, yeah. And so I find such a correlation between the two. And, and I just enjoy to be outside. And, oh, yeah. and they, they don't let us hunt. 12 months out of the year right now so we've got to find something yeah. else to fill our time in between um but yeah no uh i, I do find a lot of core correlation and love getting out fishing um yeah how cool so and your other hobby which i think is crazy that has nothing to do with hunting but is uh paragliding i oh, think yeah. that is so wild so you huck yourself off the side of a mountain with a parachute and you're able to control and then you guys go for long flights where you're trying to catch thermals and read yep. terrain mm -hmm. and then you're trying to ride those wind currents at, at seven thousand feet in the air oh, ten thousand feet in the air I, the highest i've ever gotten is uh thirteen thousand feet which is oh, nuts. uh just like i just cracked that in gosh where were, we were in billings um north of somewhere around billings i actually get some farm road that didn't have a barbed wire fence next to it that's about all the criteria we have for is we also do road towing so usually it's hucking yourself off a mountain which is 
that's kind of a violent way to say it. You run off of a mountain gently. <laughs> you know, it's it's fully you you launch it. It is an aircraft. It's fully controllable. But oh, it looks huck yourself <laughs> off the mountain. You say control about yeah. controllable. I've seen somebody huck themselves off in the wrong winds and the wrong conditions, oh, yeah. and a lot of it is oh, reading yeah. weather. Yep. But I watched this guy jump off above the top of the M there oh, and yeah. get a collapse chute, and uh-huh. he came down in a rock pile. I thought he was going to snap his legs. He came yeah. down from 15 feet, collapse chute, and came down in the rocks. I, I was surprised he didn't hurt himself. But yeah. um, Chance, Chances are I know who that is. That was hucking your yeah i bet that was hucking yourself off a mountain to me (laughs) but yeah that is so wild good for you that's uh, such an adventurous thing to do it's so cool but it scares the heck out of me (laughs) thinking about it that's just so wild i see your pictures of your feet when you're riding way up there that's the only way to let people know you're not in an airplane is you have to take the picture of your feet with the landscape so that they know you're in the sky uh yeah I actually have a goal. This is this isn't too bad of, a, of a, an aside here, but I have an I have a goal to uh, get the trifecta of successfully fishing, hunting, and flying all in the same day. I've done two of the three in pretty much every other iteration. I have you know flown and caught a fish in the same day, and I've fished and hunted successfully in the same day. But I need to get all three. One of these days, maybe maybe this will be my my fall mm-hmm. that I will get the trifecta. Mm-hmm. Is there any fall. rules against flying same day hunting like Alaska? Uh well if I hunted in the morning if I got Oh there you go. Okay. And then caught a fish and then had a nice evening flight like that. Okay, that you've thought about this. Yeah, yeah, okay. In order. Yeah. But there probably are rules against flying. Yeah, actually it is. It's the same day um rule. Which, but it doesn't matter if you hunt first and then fly you haven't done anything wrong (laughs) exactly yeah oh good for you yeah no i think that's so awesome uh that's so adventurous like you say uh, the way you guys got the mountain and i love how much it has to do with nature again and reading weather it seems like everything is weather dependent you know whether you're you're hunting it's a certain time of year where you're catching the rut or early season muleys or you know everything is just so weather dependent like we're still heading out on the coast you know when's it raining which river's clearing which one am i going to fish today And, and, and then flying it's the same thing where you guys are reading thermals and yep. reading winds and some days you wait all day and can't huck yourself off the mountain yep. and then some days it's perfect and you guys will go for what what's your long distance flying my, in that? my long distance flying isn't isn't very far in the grand scheme of things i've only gone uh 35 miles 35 I, miles is far but yeah. yeah totally um and then uh well but my buddy andy has the montana state record uh and he flew i think it was 185 miles um, mm-hmm. and i think the current world or world uh at least the U.S. foot launch record, I think, is somewhere around 285 miles. Wow, that's crazy. So, yeah, it takes you a full day to do it because they don't, they don't go that fast. Obviously, there's no motor, so you're just using tailwind mm-hmm. um, and upper-level wind. So the wind up at the clouds is usually doing something different than the wind on the ground. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, there's, there's, there's a lot of parallels between flying and hunting in the sense that, you know, when you're – in the wilderness, especially if you're doing like multi-day backpacking, hunting, that sort of thing, you are sort of putting yourself at the mercy of mother nature. Mm -hmm. And in a way, you know, flying is the same way. Uh, You make the decisions that you can to be prudent about it and to mitigate risk. And, you know, Mm -hmm. so you don't, you know, you don't go wandering into G bear country without your bear spray and you don't go flying when there's a big thunderhead, like, right you know, mm-hmm. a couple miles away or that sort of thing. You, you, you make decisions to, to keep yourself safe, but there is a certain amount of 
uh, having to sort of give yourself up to the unknown mm -hmm. involved. And, you know, you find your success when you can do that. Like cross-country flying, you have to be completely comfortable in the fact that you have no idea where your feet are going to touch ground next. And mm -hmm. so that could be in some random farmer's field that could be, you know, in a tree that could be, you know, there's all kind of um, risk factors and things you, you take on your shoulders when you decide to leave your little safe, comfortable launch zone and go some somewhere unknown. Uh, it's the same thing when you, when you walk into the woods and you have a purpose, you have a goal, but you have to be willing to embrace the possibility of the unknown in order to fully commit to that. Yeah. As safe as you can make it, there's still yeah. risk that yeah. you have to take on for yeah. sure. So if you just kind of, you know, huddle and never, you know, never go past a mile or you never, uh, hunt anywhere other than, you know, the little private whitetail patch that you have because you're too afraid to go in the mountains or that sort of thing, then, then you'll never have those adventures. No, nope. That great risk comes with the most incredible reward. Ooh, you're so right. Yeah, it so <laughs> does. Yeah, well put. So um, what do you think in the last three years, what do you think like some of the biggest lessons you've learned? Like what do you think mentally uh, the right attitude when you're hunting? And you've been really successful the past three years, but what, what type of attitude do you bring to the mountains and lessons have you learned? Um, I, mostly it's don't make assumptions. Um, I don't know, since, since I was sort of thrown into it, uh, you know, as, as an adult, uh, I didn't have a whole lot of preconceived notions to take with me, you know, it's uh -huh. not like I've been being taught certain things for years and years and years and years. And so, um, I've annoyed Phil to no end because I take everything that he says with a grain of salt, mm -hmm. even though he, you know, he's obviously got a lot of success under his belt. He's very knowledgeable, but I tried not to, um, try to learn for yourself, yeah, not, and that, not use not it as a crutch. Lack of experience as a, as a reason to devalue my perspective on mm -hmm. things. And so, okay. That's actually helped a little bit. Um, you know, I've, I've actually spotted animals for Phil that he has, you know, in my spot. You know, I've, he's actually fit that white tail on the wall there was my spot that I had scouted and I took him to. Oh, know? that's right. That's, Such a good know, one. That's that, as good as they get. That's a cool atypical yeah. uh, white tail. Learned your lesson there. Never take him again. Huh? Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> I was, I was, uh, it's like, hey, what? this is the wrong way around. I'm your girlfriend. You're supposed to carry me into the woods <laughs> and get me on a big animal and I'm getting you on all the animals. And so, yeah, it's become well, a running. Well, trip. good. And you, you run a really positive attitude when you're hunting. For sure. And that's, you have to like always believe believe that you're gonna we got a fire going huh <laughs> yeah that's an aggressive candle there uh, <laughs> um, but yeah it's such like when you're going hunting like uh i know for me i always bring a positive attitude i always think the next day is going to be the day where i yeah. find that buck or that next spot i'm going to oh, yeah. go is going to be the good good spot and i i don't let myself get beat down i just keep this positive yeah. attitude and even if i go and i don't find anything i'm thinking of the next spot i'm yeah. going to go and it's, that spot's going to be really good it's the last cast syndrome yeah it's, it's the okay just one more shot let me just go with all this one more thing i can do it or tomorrow it will be the next day you know that that, yeah. that never letting that uh sort of get you down and 
I, I kind of had to hammer that lesson into my head a little bit better. I, I will admit to you that I failed at that after I missed that, um, that antelope buck yep. with my bow. That totally took the wind out of my sail yep. for antelope hunting. And I don't think I made, I maybe took my bow out one other day. It crushes maybe. you, right? I mean, it just, it just took the wind out of my sails. And what I should have done was gotten up and gone to that same spot the next day and found the next, yeah. <laughs> the next dumb antelope to go by that irrigation ditch. Cause they were clear. They clearly liked feeding there. Yeah. So I should have just hung out there again, tried the same move and, and made it connect that time. But I just, I just let it suck the wind out of my sails. Such a good lesson. Yeah. Good for you to be able to reflect and realize that, but you're so right. You know, that's, that's the lowest low. I mean, to, to give it a haircut, you work so hard and you're finding these spots and you get close enough for your traditional bow. You have a good clean shot (laughs) and give it a haircut. It crushes you mentally. That is one of the toughest things to pick yourself up for from. And I, like backcountry hunts, I've done that where I've missed a critter or I've missed a, like I had this giant buck in Colorado. I went and hunted it in 2009 and the world record was 205. And I think this buck would have surpassed it. He at least would have given it a challenge for the world record typical. And I saw him and I, I, well, I, I went down this gnarly shoot. I, I was looking at this shoot going, God, could I make it down this thing for a stock? And he was down in this Island of trees down below me. And I, I looked at this shoot and I thought, I might be able to make it down. I don't know. And then I saw a doe and a fawn and they came running up out of it. I thought, well, if a doe and a fawn can make it, I can make it down. <laughs> well, I started going down. There is no freaking way that doe and fawn came out of that gulch. They must have side-hilled over. I got in this glacial shoot of just a uh, gnar 70 degrees, strap your bow to your pack, hand over hand, scare the heck out of yourself, right? <laughs> But I get down and and I'm in the perfect position for this stock on this giant typical and I've got them bedded in this island of trees and I sneak over and it's it's tall grass and I get by a couple bushes or maybe there's a little depression right there like a like where the water drains out of the snowpack and so I'm kind of hidden and I'm tucked in and I'm camouflaged in and I can I know exactly where this buck is and I range this tree down below me and I get this range of 40 yards you know and I think okay that's 40 yards and I'm clicking these things around me well this big giant buck gets up and he reads the script and he's a world record typical and he walks out right down below the tree that I had ranged at 40 yards. So, I mean, I am almost so rushed in my head and so like, I know that tree's 45. This buck has no idea I'm there. He's feeding on grass. Like I, I could have eaten a sandwich and then rangefinded this thing and killed it. Yeah. But instead, like I just, I got to draw back. He's 40 yards. And I put my 40 yard pin and gave him a haircut right below his oh. chest. He was maybe five yards be, below the tree, maybe oh, 45 yards geez. and missed this huge world record typical. Like I said, I could have eaten a sandwich and killed the thing. Yeah, but you have to learn those tough lessons. Yeah, exactly. But that is a tough thing to pick yourself yes. up from. And I mean, at that point, I wanted to give up. I mean, I I wanted to kill it. Why am I here? What am I doing? Why why do I exist? Yeah. And the the problem was, is well, uh, the the good thing was, is my tent was all the way back up at the top of the mountain. And there was no way I could make it back up that chute. And so I had this long walk to kind of think about things and walk in this Colorado backcountry. And and then once you're up at your tent and you're back there, you go, well, what else can I do? I can give up and drive 13 hours home or I can keep hunting. And I, I did. I ended up killing a buck that was one 
one of my my best triumphs ever. I shot him like off this fifty degree slope down in his bed, you know, and killed him uh, three, four, five days later or something. Yeah. It, it turned out to be one of my best adventures I've ever had. But I, I picking yourself up from a miss is really tough to do. So that's a good lesson for you to learn now and next time. It's just like the quicker you can pick yourself up and worry about getting out there again, the better off you'll be. Oh yeah, because now now at this point, you know, after season is long over, I keep kicking myself. I'm like, man, I probably had two extra weeks in season that I could have, how many more opportunities could I have had mm-hmm. to do that? But I just let it, I let it yeah. ruin me. And that was, that was, a, that's a mistake I'm not going to make again. It's so. so good to be able to realize and admit it though, where yeah. sometimes you'll just put that in the back of your head and you won't even bring it up or yeah. think about it again. But to, to actually, you know, realize that and realize it was a mistake and I should have kept going. And, you know, now it's all good. Now the mist doesn't hurt quite as bad because it's not, you know, you're not right there giving them a haircut. <laughs> but yeah, no, uh, it's a good lesson to learn. And the quicker you get on with your hunting, the quicker, you know, pretty soon a little time goes by a day or two. And now you're worried about chasing the next antelope yeah. or the next buck. And you've kind of forgotten about that other deal and you've gained your confidence. And what drives me a lot of times is redemption. Like yeah. I miss that buck and I know I should have hit him and I know I should have killed him. And I will push so hard to get a redemption shot, even if it's on a smaller animal. Like I just want to prove to myself that I can make a good clean kill. Yeah. I practice too much to miss <laughs> like that. And so after that miss, then I've got this checklist in my head of what went wrong. Like the last, you know, I didn't take my time on that buck. He was feeding. I could have range finded him and, and then shot him and it would have been a done deal. Yeah. You know, I'd be the top of the record books or, you know, <laughs> it maybe not one, but it would have been top five yeah. for sure. You know, but um, you just make those mistakes and you try to just look at them and improve yourself and improve mm-hmm. your hunting skill and get better because of it. But yeah, yeah. quicker you, you pick yourself up and get back out there, the better off you are. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I like it. Well, yeah. Thanks a bunch for sitting down with me, Andrea. It's so fun to talk to you as always. Um, We'll get out fishing again. I know you're going to have a great hunting season again this season. Um, Let's have you on again. Oh, yeah. We'll tell some stories next time. Yeah, for sure. No, sounds like a plan. We'll have some good, good ones. Yeah, for sure. So people can find you Instagram. Uh, I am not on Instagram. You're not. (laughs) I should probably do that though. You're banging rocks. I'll promise you I'll put up an Instagram and I will, I will comment my Instagram page on the comment when you post this podcast <laughs> <laughs> all right super uh well yeah and um uh, like you say you're you're so humble and you just enjoy being out in the woods and enjoy what you're doing but you do have a facebook page i do <laughs> yep um but yeah so uh, look her up on facebook and now on instagram uh come and she promised so yeah we'll hold her to it yeah so all right thanks again andrew i really appreciate yeah, it thanks brian okay all right guys that's a wrap um andrea larson really fun conversation um it's just, it's just always fun when you can do these with buddies and, and people that you hang out with all the time. You're just, you're so comfortable around each other and you, you just, the conversation just really flows well. And so, um, really fun to sit down with her. She's super passionate chick and, and just absolutely goes for it. So, um, fun to sit down with her and share her story. Um, again, I want to thank Everly Stock Packs. Um, so thanks for sponsoring the podcast, building really good packs. And then also over at the Eastman's office, make sure to check out that new Eastman's bow hunting journal where I've got that boot review and then the, the bear issue in it. Um, and with that, again, um, gosh, just um, trying to get better at this recording deal. So just apologize for your last week and those audio levels. So hopefully hopefully it was a, you were able to listen to it and it wasn't too awful. Um, I, I know... You know, torqued a couple people off there. So um, just, 
you know, trying to be as professional as I can be. But again, I'm just a bow hunter trying to figure this whole thing out. So I'm going to work on the technical side. I'm always reading, always trying to get better. I've got a huge page of checklists that I do on my recordings now. So uh, it's a learn as you go with me. And so um, I am getting better at this and, and uh, the live recording should be good now. And with that, boy, I just... Um, having fun. Boy, I've been chasing spring bears like crazy here. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not absolutely out of my mind crazy yet. I'm just going when it's convenient. I may be going, you know, I go evenings and weekends. I've got a full-time construction job too, but, um, yeah, I may be going four days a week now. And I think I've seen seven so far, but no close encounters, no stocks yet. The couple of shooters that I have seen, they, they've just kind of, they haven't stayed still or haven't been in a good spot when I have spotted them. Um, so yeah, just, just looking for that one or I get a chance. I mean, the close encounters is why you do it. So I'm so excited to get one of those thrilling close encounters with my bow on a good boar. So it'll happen. I just got to keep after it here. Green grass is starting to grow. We got rain all this week. So um, the conditions are right. The, the bears are going to start, there's going to be some more country open up. The higher elevations are going to start to get better. All the, the bears will be outside their dens. And so it's, it's only getting better from here. So uh, just going to keep ramping it up and keep getting out there, but really excited about the podcast and where things are headed. I got some great ones recorded and then um, I've got some really good guests coming up that I'm going to record with and, and just keep trying to get out good content and good audio quality. <laughs> so I've got to, I've got to work on that and make sure I'm getting out good quality too. But um, thanks you guys for the support. I really appreciate it. Thanks for putting up with my loud audio uh, and, and all the support on the Instagram, Facebook, um, you know, the, the reviews you guys leave me. I just really appreciate it. I'm just overwhelmed by the, by the support of this whole deal. So um, thanks a bunch, guys. Hope you guys are getting out and enjoying some spring, spring turkey, sheds, bears. Hope you're doing something fun or, or working hard towards your goals. Fall's coming, and, and it's just going to be an epic hunting season. I, I just can't absolutely can't wait for it. And uh, I know you guys are going to lay down some good trophies too. So thanks, as always, for the support, and I'll check in with you next week.